My name is Josh Beist, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. I'm Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. I'd like to thank you for joining me for this episode. I had the privilege of speaking with Josh Beist recently, senior pastor at Praise Mill Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia, and also the founder of the G3 Conference, Gospel, Grace, and Glory. Next year's conference in 2020 will be January the 16th through the 18th, and I would strongly encourage you to register for G3 now. I will link to the G3 conference website in the show notes at reclamationworship.com, and I really want to encourage you to register for this conference and attend it. To me, it's one of the best conferences out there. So uh, I went this past year and was greatly encouraged. Uh, This upcoming year, the topic is worship. I think you will be encouraged by all the speakers that are going to be there, and uh, no doubt uh, we will all learn together about the importance of worship and what the Lord has to say about how he wants to be worshiped and uh, really looking forward to this conference. Again, the dates are January the 16th through the 18th of 2020. And when you go to the website, you'll see some information there about a pay it forward scholarship. And I want to encourage you if you have the extra resources to um, help someone else out and uh, pay a a portion toward a scholarship so that someone can attend this conference and benefit from uh, the great speakers and preachers that will be there. All right, well, let's head on over to the interview. Josh, thank you so much for joining me on Reclamation Worship. Yeah, glad to be with you. Great, man. So uh, tell me about yourself. Tell me who you are and what you're doing. I serve as a pastor just west of Atlanta, Georgia in Douglasville. Um, I have the privilege to serve the church where my wife and I both grew up as children. So um, again, uh, it's it's a 177 year old Baptist church. Um, We grew up there as children, met there, don't, don't really remember when we first met. And in God's providence, after we married, went away to study at Southern Seminary, never anticipated ever returning back to the context and the membership of Praise Mill. Although we would visit often, we had family there, of course. But after pastoring out of state for seven years, in God's providence, we returned to serve the very church that served us and nurtured us as children. So it's a tremendous joy and privilege to serve Praise Mill. Wow, that's fantastic. So what a, what a unique story. How did the Lord save you? Do you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, so the context of my testimony is not really unique to me in the sense that uh, I'm sure many people share the the story of a broken home. So uh, I grew up in a in a divided home because of divorce. So my parents, my earliest memories of life were very uh, difficult memories of my mom and dad fighting and just a a divided home. They were both unconverted. And one day my mom told me that my dad wasn't coming home and he did not come home. And so I would see him occasionally, but he was 
he was not living at home anymore. The, the stable influence in my life spiritually was my grandfather. And he would pick me up on Sunday. He would take me to church. And that's where I can remember hearing the gospel for the first time. Mm. Um, and it was through those years of the custody battle that would take place. There was some issues of abuse, physical abuse uh, that happened through a, uh, a man that was my stepdad at that time. He, my mom remarried uh, pretty soon thereafter, and he was an alcoholic who would abuse alcohol. He would, he would, you know, physically abuse my mom, then physically abuse me. And it was just, it was just a really horrible scene. And, uh, soon thereafter, my dad gained custody of my sister and I, he would start taking us to Praise Mill Baptist Church. And uh, he, he was an unconverted church attender. He mm. was an unconverted church member for years. His father was a pastor, but he had passed away in a, in an accident on the job. He was a bivocational pastor in Tennessee mm. Um, and had died in a factory accident. And so my dad grew up with this idea that he prayed a prayer when he was a boy, but, you know, he really wasn't a Christian either. And so um, after, after we started attending Praise Mill, um, just before that, what happened was I was attending this church with my grandfather, and they did that, you know, typical... Extremely Arminian approach to an altar call. There was a lot of children that would go forward and they would repeat these prayers. And so I thought that's what I needed to do. So I had gone down and I prayed a prayer. And the man told me that I was a, you know, that I was a Christian because I prayed a prayer. Mm. And so I lived for a long time thinking that I was a Christian. And so when my dad gained custody of us and took us to praise mill, I, I gave them all of the right answers and they said, well, then you need to be baptized. And so they baptized me. And so I lived for years thinking that I was a Christian because I walked down to the front of the church and repeated a prayer after a man, but there was no fruit of the spirit in my life. There was no hunger for God. Everything simply became a product of what, my dad expected of his home to mm. me. My dad was converted soon thereafter and he became a, a faithful Christian father and, you know, tried to, to raise me up and my, my siblings up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the problem was I wasn't a genuine Christian. So I was attending church, but yet unconverted. And so after graduating college, I went to work for a, a business in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm listening to the gospel preached on the internet while I'm at my desk at work. And it was suddenly as if the lights just came on for mm. me and mm. so the Lord converted me. So I went back before the church, asked to be baptized, uh, asked the pastor if he would baptize me as a follower of Christ. And so that's really my, my testimony in a nutshell from that point forward, I could sent, I, yeah, I could just see and sense this insatiable desire for God and a desire to not only study the word, but to, uh, in the coming weeks, to preach the word, to teach the word. And so after some time of, 
progressing in the faith, I would uh, resign from my position there in my job and move to Louisville to pursue uh, studies for the purpose of pastoral ministry. And, and so that was how things started to develop, you know, early on in my life and then through the, the days leading up to my conversion. I fear that the church is filled with scores of people with a similar testimony to the first part of your story um, who walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, um, but have not um, experienced true conversion. And so um, that is why it's so obviously, as you well know, important for us to proclaim the gospel week in and week out uh, and any time in between in our conversations with folks. I, uh, I heard a testimony last weekend of a man who was part of the Navy and he and his wife traveled around from city to city. And he told of how many churches they joined and he and his wife were a part of the choir in these churches. And um, I think it was three or four different churches that they were a part of. And he, I think in the fourth church, finally heard the gospel and repented and believed. And so it's, it was just fascinating to me, mind-boggling that they were not just attending, but they were actively involved in these churches as unconverted members. And uh, I fear that's the case for a lot of folks. Yeah. I mean, if you'll remember back years ago, uh, there were interviews conducted with Billy Graham and he, he actually stated at one point that he would be shocked if, if more than, you know, say 15% of the people who walked down to the front during his campaigns, his evangelistic uh, campaigns, if, if, if more than 15% of those were genuine converts. And so, I mean, that's, that's an unbelievable statement by a man that has been so respected within evangelicalism. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, man, thank you so much for your faithful ministry at Praise Mill. And uh, I, I got a little taste of that a couple of weeks ago when I attended a conference that you are not only a part of, but you are responsible for, and it's the G3 conference. Um, so could you tell us about G3, uh, what it means, and then uh, how it came to be, and then we can go from there? Yeah. So the G3 conference is a theology conference. It's not a pep rally. It's not a come, let's get together and have some fun over a couple of days type of Christian event. It is, it is without blushing, without shame. It is uh, a very intentional theology conference where we gather together over the course of about three days each January and we seek to really just give ourselves to the to the knowledge of God, to the worship of God under really one key theme that is guiding that particular weekend. So, for instance, um, this past year or this past January, uh, the focus was missions. And so we had the theme of the mission of God, a biblical understanding of missions. And so all of the main sessions were Uh, very much geared towards the idea of what does it mean to be a missionary? What does uh, the local church and how does the local church engage in the very work of missions? And then all through the the Q&A conversation uh, that was was held as well with the main session speakers, we were discussing the issues of, you know, that that people had had, uh, sent in to us just about the, the nature and 
how missions looks from, you know, really the front door of the church to the ends of the earth, to the nations. And so the G3 conference first started as a small idea, a small conference in Atlanta, Georgia, or actually in Douglasville on our church campus. And it was in 2013, we had had this conference that was going to be on the gospel. That was the first year. That was the theme. What is the true gospel of Jesus Christ? And so what happened is we had this goal, or at least I did, had this goal that we would just be helping our church and other churches just in the surrounding area around Atlanta, Georgia. But as December, you know, arrived and we're having the conference in January, every seat in our church campus was filled. And so we had to shut down registration. Wow. So we started looking at where all these people were registering from. Was it all just right here locally in the Atlanta area or was it, you know, outside? So we took all of the spreadsheet and we just dropped it in a program and pinged all the addresses. And there was a massive cluster in the Southeast, but it went all across the United States and some Mm -hmm. outside of the United States. So really from year number one, God had other plans for the G3 than what I had. And so it really just started as a national conference that first year. And from that point on each year, it would be just that same pattern. It would sell out about December. We would start a waiting list. I mean, the first year, for instance, we had college students sleeping in their cars in the parking lot. Wow. And I said, no, you're not going to sleep in your cars. You're going to come to my house and sleep (laughs) in my house. So we, we opened up our home to them. But the fact is, God had other plans from the beginning. And so I've just tried to, over these years, be a good steward of the ministry that God's entrusted. And as it's grown, I've wanted to try to make sure that we stay uh, in the lane that God has placed us and that we're not, you know, being guilty of mission drift or falling into ditches and, and, and all of these things. So we want to try to stay the course and be faithful to God. But in 2016, that was the you know the fourth conference we 13 14 15 and 16 were all on the church campus okay we decided to pray as elders about moving away from the church campus to go to a convention center that would facilitate more seats if we're selling out every year we're going to do a conference on the reformation maybe we should move away so we contracted with the uh, Georgia International Convention Center over by the airport And the first year we moved in 2017, we went from 750 to 2,500 that first year. Wow. And then it went from there, it went up each year. So it went from 2,500 to 3,000 and then from 3,000 to 4,600 this past January. So from the very beginning, God had other plans for the G3 than what, you know, I anticipated. And so I'm just extremely grateful for what God has done. And as we continue to move forward, we're going to be developing the ministry into more than just a standalone conference each year, but we're going to try to really utilize G3 as a discipleship tool that can be beneficial to the local church. That's great. That's great. So I have been in vocational ministry for uh, right at 10 years now, and um, I was you know, I thought, well, missions, I've heard it all, seen it all. Uh, but I was uh, incredibly impacted by the speakers, by uh, the breakouts. So 
Um, were there any takeaways for you? Any, any big moments, um, where you found yourself worshiping the Lord because of the content of the, uh, uh, sermons or just interactions that you had with, with anyone, any one in particular moment stand out? Um, yes. Yeah, so there were plenty of moments that, that really stick out as far as things that, that, that I can think back to as far as this particular conference. I can remember sitting uh, on the Q and a panel and having the conversation about, you know, the nature of missions and what a missionary looks like and, the context of a local church and just, you know, Paul Washer looking over at me and saying, you know, I can't believe that there are so many people that just don't understand, you know, what a missionary is. And he was literally like about to explode. Mm -hmm. And so when we're starting to, to discuss the issue of missions and that a missionary is sent out from a local church and should be accountable to a local church. Yeah. I could just see light bulbs coming on and, and, and conversations that were happening in that room and people that would come to me afterwards and say that they had never really thought of the fact that a missionary is going to be sent out from a local church, not only needs to be accountable to that church, but also needs to have the qualifications of an elder. Right. I mean, if they're going to be sent out from a church to plant churches, then they should be qualified on the same level as an elder that would serve here. Mm. So, you know, just seeing the light bulbs come on was, was really, really good. Um, again, I just think that as I was worshiping through the conference and listening to the brothers preach, just seeing how God was, was using those sermons to help us all understand that, you know, missions is not for a parachurch ministry to come along and say, hey, give us your best guys and we're going to go and train them and ship them off to do the work of missions. But right. Uh, it's in the it's within the context of the local church. So if you'll go back and listen to all of those sermons, every one of us from my first sermon starting off in session one to the final sermon with Stephen Lawson on Saturday, every single sermon was stating something about the local church and the importance of connecting people to the local church. And so that was extremely important. It was. Yeah. And I was so thankful that y'all made that. Uh, emphasis. So thank you, brother, for that. So this year's topic or, or 2020 is one that's near and dear to my heart. So you, you mind sharing with us what the topic will be, what the theme will be, and uh, let's talk about that for a few moments. We're going to talk about very critical and important issues related to things like the regulative principle and issues related to singing and praying I mean, all these issues are so vitally important, right? So when we think about worship, what do you typically think of? Yeah, singing in the first couple of minutes of the service. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of people that say, you know, if you're going to worship God, that, that the preacher's preaching has now, you know, uh, you, you have people that talk like this. Well, we, we were worshiping and then, then came the preaching. Right, right. So the question becomes, what is preaching, right? Right. And what what's the purpose of singing? Right. What's the purpose of praying? And then here's another really, uh, I think, critical, important thing that we need to be thinking about, is, and it's this. When it comes to worship, should we ask the culture to define Christian worship? Mm. I think one of the critical issues in the church today is that we have been 
for so long looking to the culture and saying, what do you want and how should we worship? And then we try to figure out a way to design the worship, the, you know, the, the worship experience, if you will, to accommodate what they want so that we can be successful. Right. And I think that we need to really go back to the word of God and say, okay, does God mandate how he wants to be worshiped? Does God regulate? Are there green lights and red lights when it comes to the issue of worship? And so what is the regulative principle? And it's kind of like sola scriptura, or it's kind of like the sufficiency of scripture. Some people will give lip service to the idea of the regulative principle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I embrace the regulative principle. I think that, that God tells us how he wants to be worshipped, and we should, we should follow that. But the fact of the matter is simply this. So often it is that people want to say, well, all of these gray areas exist, so I can just use my imagination there. And I think that when we start using our imagination is when we get ourselves in trouble. Mm -hmm. So we need to design worship in such a way that we are in lockstep agreement with what the Word of God actually states. That's great. Talk just for a moment about how corporate worship fuels a life of worship outside of the service. Any thoughts on on that? Yeah, I think it. I think it can go both directions. So I think that corporate worship will um, speak to and will be a catalyst for how we worship God outside. Uh, say, driving through Atlanta traffic on the way to work. On Monday, after worshiping God on the Lord's Day, you've heard the preaching of the Word. You've heard God proclaimed in the sermon. You've been singing the the wonderful truths of the gospel corporately, and now that floods your soul as you're driving down the road, and so you start to think on those things, and then you start to pray, and you notice that as you're praying, you're actually praying Scripture. Mm. You're praying the truths you're praising God for his attributes. So all of these things are starting to flood your soul. And so when we talk about the ordinary means of grace, Mm -hmm. the right preaching of the word, the right administration of the ordinances, and, and you've, you've been nourished and you've been strengthened through the right preaching of the word and through the, the Lord's table on Sunday. And now here you are on Monday and you're, having, you know, to prep yourself for a meeting with, you know, your coworkers or your boss. And you think that, you know, you need to spend some time, maybe 30 minutes in prayer. And you find that if you were to record that prayer or write it down, mm-hmm. you're going to find it is probably connected to what you were hearing and what was being preached and what you were studying, what you were reading uh, on the Lord's day. And so it's extremely important. But then I would flip it and I would also say this. Um, When it comes to family worship in the home, family worship, we're attempting to do what we're seeing happen on the Lord's Day, just in in a small format, you might say. Right. The, The reading of the Bible, the explaining of the Bible, praying together and singing a song or two, um, that's a simple, you know, sketch of what family worship looks like. But it's almost as if worship on the Lord's Day is informing family worship, but then family worship is prepped for corporate worship. So it's this ebb and flow each week. And I think that if we can 
understand that properly and see that rightly, then it's going to affect how we uh, approach discipleship and worship in the home. I think our children are going to be greatly blessed as a result. Our spouses will be uh, nourished through the word, and then we're going to be encouraged as we're uh, prepping ourselves for the big day, which is the Lord's day. And then the Lord's day prepares us for the ebb and flow of family worship through the week as well. Josh, historically, how did we get to this point uh, where we are in the church with us thinking primarily that singing is the sole means of worship on a Sunday morning? Like what happened historically to get us to this point? One of the critical things that happened uh, in our approach to arriving at more of a entertainment-based model of worship was the without a doubt, the church growth, seeker-sensitive approach to worship. Mm. Now, right now, you might say there are very few churches that would actually admit that they are still, you know, modeling their worship after a seeker-sensitive approach. But there are scores of churches all around evangelicalism that have been affected by that mindset. And whether in true word they identify with that model or not, they have been affected and they have been shaped and molded by that approach. Right. So what happens is, you know, once again, if we say, well, the, the, the culture says this is going to make us happy and this is what we're craving. And then we give them the rock concert or we give them the pep rally approach or whether it be the, the laughter approach to the, 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 the Christian comedian instead of a, a genuine pastor or whatever it might be. But just as it pertains to singing, um, uh, once again, if you go back throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see an emphasis on singing. You see psalms to the choir master. You know, you see these psalms written for the purpose of not only praying, but singing. Right. And then you come to the New Testament and you see the word to sing. And we're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we're to do this for the purpose of worshiping and glorifying God and also shaping one another in the process. Right. But the, the fact is, the carnal mind and the heart of humanity desires to be entertained. And so what we want to do, if we're not careful, is we'll think that well, if we create a church culture to where we have this lights and and flash and glitter and smoke machine and praise band rock sort of concert style approach. What happens is you see a lot of young people that start to like that and they start to bring friends with them. And before long, it seems as if the church is growing. The church is not really growing. Yeah. The church might be swelling, but it's not growing. And so a swell is different than a growth. And we need to, be able to distinguish between the two. Mm. And I think that we've arrived in a certain place in evangelicalism through the years that we're afraid to cut away those methods because we're afraid that we're going to look unsuccessful or irrelevant. And unfortunately, that's not really true. And I think that we would be blown away if we would go back to the basics and commit ourselves to a godly approach to worship, we would not see the church swelling. We would see the church growing mm. and then it would honor God in the process. Yeah. It seems like um, not only do we need to reform uh, 
our, our practices, uh, what we do on Sunday morning, but also our vocabulary and the way we talk about these things. Uh, one of the ones that um, I'm on a, a mission to correct is just how we refer to the music guy. Um, what do we call him yeah. in today's culture? We call him the worship leader. And again, to your yeah. point, what does that say about the preached word of God? If, if this guy who's well, singing the first three songs is the worship leader, what, what is everything else in the service? Yeah, well, you know, that, that goes back to that model of, you know, you have lots of different vocabulary that we use today, lead pastor, senior pastor, worship leader, choir master, I mean, all these different things. Um, and we can see some of that emerging from the scriptures. Again, you have elder and overseer, and you have, you have these, these different words for what a pastor is. And then you have like choir master for the leading of the congregation in, in song, you know, worshiping and singing the gospel. But the worship leader, without a doubt, or the worship leaders, you might say, without a doubt in the church, are the pastors of the church. Mm. And if we ever lose sight of that, then we're in big trouble. Mm. If you have someone that's a musician that's handing down worship to the pastor saying, this is what we're doing on the Lord's day without any accountability, without any oversight, without being tethered to the word of God, um, then that's problematic. So it's the role and the responsibility of the pastors to lead the congregation in worship. And that means even the pastor who doesn't even know how to read music in the slightest degree. He still needs to oversee what the church is singing on the Lord's day. Amen. Well, Josh, I am looking forward to G3 2020 and uh, we'll hopefully um, get some more attenders through this podcast. And so uh, any parting words, anything you'd like to say uh, regarding G3? Yeah, I would just ask for your prayers as we approach and as we work through this year approaching 2020. Uh, I think that the conference itself is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, we, we're going to have speakers such as Joel Beakey, Derek Thomas, Vody Bauckham, Stephen Lawson, uh, Paul Washer is going to return. We're going to have some really big announcements about how we're going to do the Spanish conference this upcoming year. Okay. This will be the third Spanish conference that we've done in conjunction with the G3. And we're going to try to be more intentional about uh, a true Spanish track that's going alongside the conference during the conference and not wow. just a preliminary event on that day before. And so we have some really big announcements coming soon. And so we would ask for your prayers. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to make known, and perhaps you guys could help us with this. And, and that's number one. Um, we need to make sure that we understand that watching a conference online is quite different than being there in person. Yes, it is. And you can ask many people to give testimonies of the difference between the two. So we can't always go to every conference and we can't always go to one conference every single year. But there are many people who come to G3 every year. There are some who have never been to G3. They've only watched online and then they came this year and they said, what an unbelievable difference it is to just be there because you have wonderful conversations that develop throughout the time of the conference during the meal breaks, in the evenings, in the mornings. Um, it's just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing to be able to get away if you can. And that being said, if you haven't ever attended the G3, we would love to have you come in person this upcoming year. Um, and we're trying to make it as 
affordable as possible. That's our goal always. So if you'll look at our prices and what we charge, I mean, we're just trying to pay bills and try to keep things moving forward. Um, so we want to keep it as, as affordable as possible. So we would encourage you to come and join us. But also we have this thing that we developed this year called the Pay It Forward Scholarship. And so if you're interested in sending pastors or students or missionaries who would love to come and they write us and they tell us that they would love to come, but they just can't afford it. If you would help by giving to that scholarship, it would fund for these brothers to be with us and to be encouraged in the word of God throughout the G3 conference this upcoming January. So pray for us and with us and help support us along the way and look for some really big announcements coming soon. We have an app. We also have some social media channels like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And if you follow us by downloading the app and turning on notifications, follow us on YouTube and on Instagram, then you'll see when those announcements drop. And so we would just encourage you to do that and stay up to speed with what's happening in the G3. Great. Well, I will link to all of those things uh, in the show notes on this podcast and uh, folks can connect with you in those ways. So brother, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate the, the opportunity to speak with you today. Absolutely. Well, again, I'd like to thank Josh Bice for joining me on Reclamation Worship. I want to encourage you to visit G3's website. And again, I will link to that in the show notes at reclamationworship.com. And so please, if you haven't been to reclamationworship.com, I would encourage you to visit the site. Uh, you can see all the previous episodes and uh, just uh, explore the website, see what all there is to offer there. We even have some articles for you to read. So uh, we are on iTunes. I would encourage you, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, to do so at iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you are on iTunes, please rate and review. It greatly helps us to be discovered by other listeners, and so I'd greatly appreciate you doing that. We are on Twitter, at ReclamationHQ. We are on Instagram, at Reclamation Worship, and on Facebook, at Reclamation Worship. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.